This week on the Indiana Bible College podcast, we have our student speakers, J.C. Sellers and Alex Spooner. The Lord. So would you put your hands together for uh, J.C. Sellers this morning? Amen. Thank you, Zach. That's really kind. Um, um, I first want to say thank you to the IBC staff. If you guys think that I'm pathetic now, you should have seen me my freshman year. And um, I owe so much to the staff at IBC. You have sacrificed so much to invest so much in us, and I cannot thank you enough. And I mean that from the depths of my heart. Thank you. Um, I uh, have not met all of you, um, but if you've ever heard a really loud, obnoxious laugh, randomly. Hi, I'm JC. Um, I am so humbled and so privileged to be able to be before you this morning because I look out and I see the future ministers of this movement and the, the truth that we so love. Um, Tuesday during chapel, Brother Brown, he stood up and he began to speak from the same text that I'm going to bring you to today. And at first I started to panic and I thought, no, Brother Brown, don't preach that. <laughs> what am I going to do? And um, I started to pray about it. And I just, I feel confirmation that somebody needs to hear this morning. So if you could all um, just bow your heads and, and pray with me this morning. God, I pray, Lord, this morning that you, we felt your presence already, so I just pray that your anointing would flow in this place, God, that your words, God, could be spoken today, Lord. I don't want to speak my own words, God. I want to speak your thoughts, God, and I pray that hearts would be open, God, to receive your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done already and everything that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen. Today, I'm here to speak to those of you who want to grow. Those of you who are not lukewarm and are not complacent. And I speak to those who know that there's more from God for you and you want it. You know that there are greater things yet to be done. You know that there is a greater potential for you and you desire what God wants for your life. He stood there on the nearly empty battlefield with a heavy sword in one hand. His enemy's blood was fresh on the blade and the young man stood there with a sense of victory as his opponent lay before him. You see, this was not just any sword. It was the very sword of his now fallen enemy, a giant named Goliath. As young David looked around, he saw the eyes of many staring back at him. They were all witness to the victory and the power of God through this man. He truly must be God's anointed. You see, God will always vindicate his anointed. You don't have to worry because if you are called and anointed, God will bring great victories in your life. So there was no doubt in any mind that David was anointed and used by the Lord to achieve such a victory. But how? How did he, who was not even a soldier, get to the battlefield? So who sent this young man, a simple shepherd, to the battlefield? See, it was earlier that day that David was summoned by his father to leave the field where he tended the sheep and was given very specific instructions. In 1 Samuel 17, verses 17 through 18, we read this. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren. 
and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. You see, there are two reasons that David went and left his place in the field. And the first reason David went to the battlefield was through his submission and his obedience to the authority in his life. There are some of you in this room who have been tested and tried in this area. Your giftings have been developed and you feel that you have outgrown the field in which you tend sheep. But let me warn you, your pastor is not holding you back. He's watching for your soul. The enemy of your soul will try to plant, plant seeds of doubt and rebellion in your mind and ultimately your heart. Without submission to the spiritual authority in your life, you will never make it to the place in which God can use you to accomplish his divine will. Without submission to spiritual authority in your life, you will never make it to the battlefield and you will never slay giants. It says in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 12, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So this tells us that we are all imperfect. We're all imperfect people. We must all come to a place where we can submit in order to grow and become more perfect in Christ. Submission is the method by which God chooses to perfect the saints. So how perfect you want to be will depend on how submitted you are. You see, the other reason David went to the battlefield is to serve. He was not given instruction to fight or to go to the encampment and take control. He was simply told to go serve his brothers. You see, David did not try to force himself into a place of authority or power. It was through his submission to the body of Christ that God was able to elevate him. You see, those who seek to have authority will never find it. Those who truly understand the weight and responsibility of authority would never seek after it. It is those who understand how unqualified they are that God promotes to areas of influence. And people who think they should obtain position are unworthy of it. Scripture shows us that the greatest among us will be those who are willing to minister in any way they can. Those that will be the leaders are those that desire to be a servant. You see, it's not about the accolades of man. It's not about the pats on the back. It's about you and me giving our lives away to serve someone else. It's not about the limelight or about being on the platform. It's not about being behind an instrument. It's not about being the best so everyone will notice us. You see, to feel that way would have it be all about us. And if it's all about us, then we can never walk in real authority. A submitted heart has already given itself away for the betterment of the whole. You see, David's submissive heart had been molded and had been shapen. It was the years, even prior to him leaving to go to his brothers in the battle, that had shaped him and taught him submission. You see, many years before the battle between David and Goliath, that same victor stood in a very different field. He stood in a field not surrounded by soldiers, but surrounded by his father's sheep. Scripture tells us in Samuel 16, 10 through 13. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he cometh hither. And he sent him and brought him in. Now he was ready and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. 
There stands David in the midst of his brothers, dripping with anointing oil and filled with a sense of purpose. He can feel the anointing of a king resting on his head and can feel it resonate through his whole being. There David stands full of anointing, but also full of questions. You see, the prophet had anointed him and then left without handing David any direction or answers. David had the anointing of a king, but no direction to a throne. David had the anointing of a king, but he went back to doing that which his father bid him. He had the anointing of a king, but he tended the sheep. So here you are with an anointing so strong that sometimes you can feel it burning in you. It's unquenchable. When you close your eyes, you can feel the pull of God's divine will drawing you to a place that you had not been before. You feel the weight and responsibility of lost souls crying for a preacher. You feel the songs not yet written coursing through your bones and your very being. So you're seeking direction. Wait. Wait and submit yourself. Submit yourself to tend the sheep. I stand before the next powerfully anointed missionaries, and I have no doubt that God will use you in a great way. But I ask you, are you willing to submit yourself when you're told to wait in the pasture? There are lessons to be learned in the pasture that you will need when you make it to the battlefield. In fact, you will never slay giants unless you're first willing to submit in a pasture. If you've spent any amount of time at IBC, you've probably heard the saying, but it bears repeating. Don't despise the process. You see, there is a process of learning and growth and brokenness that God must take you through in order to mold you into the person he desires you to become. So don't get grow discouraged in the process. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and he is willing to change you if you're willing to submit to his timing and his will. It may be lonely in the pasture, but don't you think Jesus was lonely? When he was crying in the garden that there was blood dripping down his brow like sweat, and his closest disciples couldn't even stay up with him. Don't you think Jesus was lonely? It may be difficult to stay in the pasture, but it's there where you will learn and prepare. So don't grow discouraged. If God called you to a pasture, he will take you through it. If you've submitted to follow him, then he understands where you're at. Because he's just a couple steps in front of you. What does submission in a pasture look like? Did David simply sit and wait in the field? No, he tended the sheep. It wasn't a chore or a duty. This was exactly where God wanted him to be, so he did his job and he did it well. When we submit to God's timing, we don't just sit down and wait for God to come get us when he's ready. To learn the lessons that are only taught in a pasture, we have to get engaged. That means getting up every day and saying, God, you brought me here for a reason, so what do you want me to learn today? Who do you want me to reach out to today? What do you want me to do today, God? Trust me, I'm not, I'm not up here saying this with, without experience. Submission is difficult for everyone. And I found myself having to remain in a pasture when I so badly wanted to be in a battlefield. But I can tell you that there are lessons I had to learn that could only come through not only obedience, but submission. Because there's a distinct difference between obedience and submission. What does submission in a pasture look like? Is it doing all the right things? Is it coming into chapel just for an attendance grade? Is it simply showing up to student body prayer because you feel the pressure of everyone's eyes on you? When was the last time you didn't just read a book because you needed the grade, but you also wanted to learn? I understand that it's midterms week and you're tired, and you're tired of studying, you're tired of reading, you're tired of writing papers, but why did you come here? You see, obedience is demonstrated through your actions, but your heart will show your submissiveness. 
We can become so wrapped up in our ministries and our anointing that we slowly begin to pick our lives back up off the altar where we once left them. We can sing songs about saying yes, but how often do we hold on to our goals and our dreams for the future? God forbid that we would ever become so used to going through the motions, so used to being so aware of our reputations that we lose sight of what brought us here to begin with. You see, we all had to sacrifice to get here. I've heard many of your testimonies, and I have no doubt many of you are submitted to the call of God in your life. You have felt his anointing, and now you find yourself tending sheep when you thought you were on the way to a throne. So my last question this morning is also my title. Are you willing to submit to a pastor? I'm not going to have an altar call, but if we could, could we just stand and respond to the word of God? So would you put your hands together and welcome my friend and uh, fellow student, Alex Spooner. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. If y'all could stand for the reading of the word, my papa would kill me if I didn't do that. I'm sorry y'all just sat down. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen, with God's people. Thank you, Brother Galleon. Thank you, staff. Thank you, everybody, for all you pour in. I'm, I'm going to, there's so much I could say, Brother Rodenbush, but I just, I thank you very much. Y'all never know what y'all did for me. I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Chapter 2. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Alyssa and worship team, for leading us in the presence of God. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy when someone gets up here and they, they don't make it about themselves, but they lead us into the presence of God. I, I appreciate that. Thank you, Zach. We have a lot of great memories, me and Mark, Stacy, and Zach. Amen. I won't. You know what? I was just thinking about that. That's prophetic right there. I was just thinking about that. I was. I was like, what should I tell? What should I do? Amen. First Corinthians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. My title today is Faith in God's Power. Because if we ever fall out of love with the Holy Ghost and its ability to change lives, we are in serious trouble. I'm preaching to ministers today, and so I just want to give you a charge that your faith must be in God's power. It has to be. Lord, I ask you right now to anoint me. I ask you, Lord, to help me to speak the words that you have given me. God, I'm not preaching for a response. I'm just preaching what you've given me, and I trust you. I trust you, Lord. Help us, oh God, to be called to be better today, to be changed, to be encouraged, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. I understand the uh, IBC melting pot. I really do. I got first wind of it when I came as a freshman. And the first thing I was scared to death of was, my goodness, all these people are going to be so talented. They're, it's going to be awful. But God had favor because he stuck me in a room with Zach Ross and Mark Stacy. Now, they are two of the greatest preachers I've ever met. But, see, they don't have a speck of musical ability. I'm sorry, Zach. But we, neither of us, and Zach can sing. He made chorale. I'm thankful for that. But, we, man, we, we're in there. And I remember watching Mark trying to... Try, trying to play piano one day. He was trying to play piano, and he's, he's in there, and Zach's in there kind of watching. We had another roommate watching. I'm just thinking, dear Lord, thank you, Jesus. He cannot play that piano. I'm sorry, Mark. 
Because I understand when we come here, we're in a place that is full of talent, full of people that can sing. And if you haven't found out yet, there's always somebody better. And a tool that the devil will use, just particularly to IBC, is he will start to use jealousy as a tool to weave into our hearts and to get us kind of looking at other people. Because it's dangerous when you start looking at somebody else and saying, I really don't have what they have. I really can't sing like that person. I, I really can't play at all. I can't play a thing. I, and I can hardly preach. I mean, I can hardly get up for my 8 a.m.s. Because when David came off the battlefield, the Bible says the people sang. It says David or Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. We have to understand Saul could not stand that. Because, see, if you start looking at other people and what you don't have, the devil is going to take every opportunity he can to try and get you to look at yourself and say, I don't have that. I can't do what God's called me to do. But can I just encourage somebody today, quit looking at what you don't have. You have the only thing you need, and that's the power of the Holy Ghost. You can do anything and everything you need with the Spirit of the Almighty God in your body. Quit looking at what you don't have. You have everything that you need. The Holy Ghost. 27th of January, 1991. We all know this story, but the Kilman tells it very often. It's Tampa, Florida. It's Super Bowl 25. And anyone that knows anything about sports, and if you don't, the Super Bowl is the most watched event every year. Every year, without a doubt. If you look up the top 26 uh, most watched events in the last 40, 50 years, it's the Super Bowl every year, just about. And this particular day, there was 74,000 people there. But the millions and millions watched live. And it was because it was, it was the Whitney Houston performance. And Brother Kilman talks about this. He always talks about how she was high when she was singing it. But that's not what I want to talk about today. But you have to understand the setting of this event. It was the height of the Gulf War. And so people's hearts were stirred. People had emotions. It was just 10 days after a bombing and several deaths. And so Whitney Houston gets up there. And there was much anticipation. I, I, have, to, I have to assume I wasn't there. But you can watch the video, and you can see live people's tears uh, streaming down their face as she began to sing. And, and, and she was high. Remember that. That's, that's funny. I never knew that until the killing told me. But, see, people started to be moved and shaken. And it was a huge auditorium. And, and all in one seemingly song, everyone was bound together in unity. They were probably ready to storm hell with a squirt gun, I imagine. Brother Gallion, that is Brother Gallion's quote. I'll give him credit. I love it. But you can watch the video, and everybody is moved and changed. But... But, but, but I want to just focus on something that I imagine no one left that place any different than they truly came in. I imagine the sick didn't leave changed. I imagine those that were bound by drugs and alcohol didn't leave any different than they came in. Though they were crying, though they were bawling, though they probably felt something they never felt before. Uh, cigarette addiction wasn't broken. Uh, the abused went home to the same abuser, and everything stayed the same. And you say, of course, well, it's a football game. But the correlation I want to make is if we are not careful and we focus on our talent, we may have a church of 74,000 people. We may be able to speak till they move to tears, until they're all emotional, but no one's going to leave our churches changed. No one's going to leave our services move with the Holy Ghost because it's not about talent. Anyone can have some talent. But if you have the anointing of the Holy Ghost on your life, you can change people. The Holy Ghost is what's going to change people. Not our talent, not our ability, not our oratory. It's the Holy Ghost, the power of the Spirit of God. It's the power of the Holy Ghost we're going to need when we go. We all have callings in our life, but I promise you, wherever you go, you have to go in the name of Jesus in a confidence, not in your ability. Because that's only going to get you so far. You have to go in the power of the Holy Ghost. In our setting here, it says, it talks about, and I, I've learned a lot in 1 Corinthians. I'm really, Brother Kilman, I wish he was here. 
Um, I'm not calling out Brother Kimmel for not being here neither, but I just I wish he was here. His Corinthians classes taught me a lot. Um, but we have to understand the setting in which Paul is saying this when he says, And I, brethren, came not to you with enticed excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. The, the setting, Corinth was into oratory. Corinth was big into wisdom. Corinth was big into how good you can speak. They were into talent, in essence. And I imagine, though the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary, the greatest preacher, apostle, uh, as we all say, I imagine he was still a man, though. And so i got to imagine Paul must have faced temptation to be like those that spoke to him because you have to know Paul knew this church very well. And he knew what that was, what the, the, the method of the day was. And I have to imagine he was tempted in some aspects to use the same method. Paul was very aware he could move the Corinthian church with his speech. He knew he could probably get people to be moved emotionally with how excellent his words could be. But see, Paul had a deeper revelation. He knew two things. He said, one, these people need something different than what they've been getting the last little while. And the second thing he knew, I've got what it is, and that is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. See, because Paul knew something. If I just do what everyone else is doing, and I'm just another hired orator to itch their ears as a preacher, nothing different's going to happen. They're just going to cry, and they're just going to they're just going to be moved to a little bit of emotional but see someone that's high can grab a microphone and do that paul said listen if i if i'm going to be effective here if i'm going to be an effective uh preacher or a minister or a pastor i've got to speak to you not under the excellency of man's wisdom but i'm going to come to you and speak to you under the power of the holy ghost i'm not going to use the methods of the of the corinthian way i'm not going to do that because that's not going to change you that's not going to help you we have to care about the people's soul we have to. Why would we give them something that we know doesn't work? I don't know about anybody else here, but I was, in a, I was, I was living in the world. I was backslidden on a pew like Mark Stacy always tells me. Not that I was backslidden, but he uses that reference. But why would we give them something that we know doesn't work? What, 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 what a sick joke in essence, I guess. But we know the ways of the world isn't going to change them. Giving them what they already have isn't going to do anything for them. We have to know what we have, and that's the power of the Holy Ghost, and that's all we need. We have to have faith in God's power. Verse 2 says, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You have to understand also, Paul, Paul's apostleship was being in question. They kind of, they didn't think he was going to come back. And they also really, they, they, they're arguing over who was baptized by who, Apollos and Paul. And they're, they're arguing over all these things. And so, and they're really doubting Paul's apostleship, his authenticity of being an apostle. And Paul says, in the second verse, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you. Paul was telling them right then, listen, I don't care if you think I'm qualified or not. I don't care if you think I can move you with my speech just like all the other orators do every time you guys meet. But Paul said, I don't care if you think the only thing I know is this Jesus thing. That Jesus thing is all this world needs. They don't need your talent. They don't need what you can do. But they need that Jesus that's inside of your heart. You have to give them Jesus. Let God use your talent. But if you don't give them Jesus, then you are no different from any other preacher in this world. And I'm sorry, that is very pointed. But we have to give them the only thing that works. The only answer in this world is Jesus. The sin problem answer is Jesus. The addiction problem answer is Jesus. The pornography addiction problem is Jesus. Every problem this world has, the answer is Jesus Christ dying for their sins so that they may become and wash clean so he can fill them with the Holy Ghost. The answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. Don't worry about impressing the world with how smart you are. I'm not against degrees. I'm at college for goodness sake. 
But don't worry about being, being seen as something in the world's eyes. Only thing you need to know and be confident in is that you know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you give them that and trust God to change them as he once changed you. In Jesus' name. It says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Much trembling. Why was Paul afraid? That's, that's kind of, when I first read it, I was like, what in the world? But then I realized that as preachers and ministers of the gospel, I'm preaching to ministers here today. We are going to be held accountable for the things we say and the things we don't say. Paul understood a concept. He said, listen, deeper than the fact that I want you guys to go to heaven, and, and if I speak with the words of the day, Corinth and oratory, that's not going to happen. But deeper than that, I'm called to be a preacher. I'm called to minister to you. And I also have a, a burden. I have a fear. I cannot go back or go against what God has called me to do. I, I, I Listen, it's going to be, I, I believe with all my heart, there's going to be a temptation to kind of fold under pressure when it comes to what we're going to do in this last day. We are in the last day. We are the generation that God has chosen to reach this world. I believe that with all of my heart. That's why more than ever, we've got to be in love with the Holy Ghost. But Paul said, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid because if we are not careful... We can, we can really kind of dumb down this truth and dumb down this message to, to really fit people's desires and fit people's requirements. But if we do that, there is a danger of blood being on our hands. I, I'm sorry, I love each and every one of you, but if God gave me a word to speak up here, I've got to speak that word because I have to answer one day to my Savior and my Lord. You can read Matthew chapter 25. I was just talking to Mark about this earlier. He asked what I was going to preach on it. I said no, but I, I'm sorry, Mark, I lied. Forgive me, Lord. But the parable of the talents. The Bible says that a man came and, and he gave one servant five talents, another two, and another one. And so obviously, you know, there's, there's I was talking to Mark about how, you know, some commentary in the Apostolic Study Bible, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. That's okay. No big deal. But we know here that God does give some people more talent than others, clearly. It shows in the parable. But the Bible says that he left. And in Luke 19, there's also a parallel. The Bible says he left and he expected something more. God has given each of us talents. He's given each of us abilities. He has some different than the other. I can't play. I can't sing. I can't do hardly nothing. I'm struggling to preach right now. But there's some, something in me. There's a talent. There, there's something. And God has given me that. He's given each of us talents. And the Bible says, he says, I, I'm, I gave you these talents, and I'm, I, he leaves, and he comes back. You have to understand, Jesus is coming back. Don't, don't, get, don't mistake in that. Jesus will come back. And so when he comes back, he says, what did you do? He looks at the guy with the five talents, and he says, what did you do with your talents? And the man says, well, I, I traded them, and I, I, got, I got more. Here's five more. And Jesus says, faithful over small things, I'll make you ruler over many. And then it comes to the guy with the two talents. And he says, what have you done with what I've given you? What, are you, what, what have you done? Because he, he is expecting something. God is expecting a return on his investment. And so... The guy with two talents says, here, I traded. I got two more. He says, all right, good job. But then the guy with the one talent comes, the one talent. And he says, Lord, I'm going to paraphrase here. He says, I did nothing with it. I did nothing. I buried it in the earth because I was afraid. I was afraid. I was scared. And so God says, you wicked and you slothful servant. You're wicked because God has given you something for a reason. 
He didn't give you a talent just so you could keep it, hold on to it, cherish it, and impress this world. He gave you a talent for a reason so that when he gives you the Holy Ghost and you are due with power from on high, he can take those talents that he has given you and use them to reach somebody somewhere. I don't want to take what God has given me and throw it away and bury it in the earth. I'm going to take what God has given me, though it may be small. I'm going to do everything in my power to gain by trading. I'm going to do everything I can to use that for God's kingdom. Shame on me if I ever start using my talent for my own glory. Shame on me if I start using what God gave me to impress people. If I start using that to get people to look at me and all this and owe me, it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his kingdom. It's all about his will. I don't care what you give me or haven't given me, God, but I'm going to use it for your glory. I'm going to use it to give people to your kingdom. My goodness, some of us are so talented. If we just gave it to God, what could he do? What could he do? What could he do? My goodness, what could he do? And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, wisdom, excuse me, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. You cannot imitate this Holy Ghost and its, its authenticity. There have been people upon people upon people upon people, preacher upon preacher, singer upon singer. You cannot imitate the Holy Ghost and its changing power. You can move people to tears, but you cannot imitate this Holy Ghost, this, this feeling, this Man, the Holy Ghost came in me one day when I was eight years old, and it changed my life. And nobody, no preaching, no song has ever been be able to do the same thing that God's Spirit did for my life. Every time you go to write a song, every time you go to sing, every time you go to preach, you have to understand. You cannot try to imitate it by dumbing it down. You have to surrender and let God speak through you because there's nothing that can imitate this. You have to go in demonstration of the power of the Spirit, and there is no faking that. There is no faking the Spirit. You're anointed or you're not. You cannot fake it. Verse 5, and your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, faith is not subject just to, um, you know, apostolics. You know, we have faith in things outside of God, and I just, I got to tell a story. Me and Mark have something called the swipe and faith thing. And so it's like after we get UPS, how many, oh, how many remember me and Mark's awful UPS stories? And all the upperclassmen, there's a couple of you. It's awful, my goodness. That's terrible, my Lord. Anyway, but me and Mark would come back after a long day of UPS, and we would, uh, you know, we would go to McDonald's. And I'm be honest with you, I, I, I wouldn't check my account. Certain people in here know that I never, before I go to spend money, I, I, I transfer stuff over my account. So time and time again, I forget to do that, so I go to swipe, and then it gets denied. But me and Mark have a swipe and faith thing. And so we go up there, and I, I mean, I'd get the hotcakes, thank the Lord for all day breakfast. That was the greatest thing McDonald's ever did. Hallelujah. I love it so much. And vanilla ice cream cones. But anyway, so we go up after UPS, and it, the first question, where are we eating? It was 12 o'clock at night. Where are we eating? That's all that mattered. Oh, we got the exam. I know we got the exam tomorrow, but I'm eating first. I mean, it's, it's real. I can't study an empty stomach. So we go in there, and I order the hotcakes, the sausage egg muffin uh, with a hash brown, and a two large sweet teas, because I know I'm going to get thirsty in the middle of the night. And so I order all this, and then I stop and realize, look at Mark, and oh my goodness, I don't know if I have any money. And Mark goes, well, swipe in faith. That's all it is, just swipe in faith. The problem with that is if, if it doesn't go through, now uh, the, the cashier knows you have no money. The people behind you know you have no money. Everyone in the whole restaurant knows you have no money. You have to awkwardly just flip your card that doesn't work back in your wallet and kind of put your head down like you just sinned and then walk back to the corner and realize, well, I didn't have faith. I didn't have faith. But me and Mark do all the time. Just like whenever you go to pay a bill, you have faith that 
the light's going to turn on. Now, if we have no money, obviously we have to have real faith that God's going to turn the light on. But see, the problem is, is that if our faith is not in the power of God, then we're in trouble. Mark, you don't stand up. If you could stand up. Zane, you, I'm going to use you too. If you could stand right here. And if the piano player could come and save me, that'd be, that'd be great. Charlie, could you stand up? Josh, could you stand up? I was at a conference, and I was pre, uh, it was uh, my papa's uh, anniversary service. And so it's a big deal to have, if you can come a little bit closer, just right, yeah, right around there is good. And so there's a conference, and, and, uh, and bishop, there's a bunch of bishops and pastors and preachers and everyone that, uh, you know, comes and, and they preach this thing. Well, on Saturday, they give the young ministers of the section a chance to preach. And they make sure all the bishops come. They make sure all the, all the bigwigs are there, you know, because they, you know, see what kind of talent we got, what kind of young ministers we get to pass our churches to, if it's looking good or not, if we got to go out of state and bring somebody in. And so we, you know, we, we get up there, and I'm talking to my three friends. You know, it's me, my cousin, and my friend. And so we're, we're I'm getting up there, and I'm just thinking, oh, my goodness, I can't preach. You know, I got to get past. Paul Mooney always says we got to get a little bit deeper than Paul, David and Goliath, you know, obviously. I'm thinking, what I got to do? What, what am I going to do that's going to impress these people? I got to be honest. This was just last summer. I was like, what I got to do to impress these people? Because, there's, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, I want to be a good preacher. Who doesn't want to be good at what, what, what they're called to do? I, I, who doesn't? And I fell in that temptation, and I said, I want to really impress these people. I got a big old sermon. I was like, man, I'm going to jump online and see what Scott Graham has to say about this, you know, and oof, never do that. And I get up there, and so all the preachers and all the bigwigs are there, and I preach for a little bit. And then I'm like, man, that's not too bad. And everyone's clapping, you know. And I, I go and I sit down. And then the night service rolls around. And Brother, uh, the Bishop Batson was preaching. And he gets up and he says, all right. He said, I, 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 want, I want the three preachers that preach today. I want the three preachers that preach today to stand right there. And I'm going to, they, they represent them. And I'm, I'm over here. And he says, all right. And he looked in the crowd and he said, I want, he said, who doesn't have the Holy Ghost in here? And two little seven-year-olds stood up. You two of the seven-year-olds, wow, six-foot-four, seven-year-old. That's all right. That's all right. And so they stand up, and, and six-year-olds come, and they're just sweetness. I'm like, okay, what's this going on? He said, all right, I want all the bishops to leave the room. I want all the pastors to go. And so while they, they kind of looked. He said, get out of here. Get out. Leave. And so all the bishops, everyone stood out. There was no one left on the platform. And he said, listen, he said, I know what you did today. He said, the Lord spoke to me and said, you're worried about impressing us. He said, but okay, this is a scenario I want you to understand because there's coming a day when they will not be here. This is what you're going to see. Jason Gallion will not be there. Brother Rodenbush will not be there. Brother Kilman will not be there. They're going to be gone and, and God bless them on to their reward. But we are the next generation that's going to have to step into the place and preach this message and preach this gospel and win souls. We have to carry on the torch because they're not going to be here forever. They're not going to be. They're going to be gone. And so he gets up. He says, they need the Holy Ghost. He said, and you're all that's here. He said, your impressive preaching means absolutely nothing now. These six-year-olds don't know good preaching from bad preaching. They don't know a good song from a bad song. They don't know a hit note to a lost note, a missed note. They don't know any of that. But all I want to know is, young preacher, can you pray them to the Holy Ghost? Are you going to worry about if they think you're a good preacher or not? 
Are you going to, can you get them, can you get God to show up so they can be saved? It's not about impressive preaching. It's not about how good you can sing. It's not about how good you can play. But can you get God to show up and show out and fill people with the Holy Ghost? It's all about the power of God. If your faith is not in the power of God, then you're going to fail and people will go to hell lost. It's all about the power of God. It's all about the power of God. It's all about the power of God. Y'all can stay standing. I'm going to be done. It's all about the power of God. I know it's tempting now. It's tempting to get up here and want to preach really good. I know whoever can preach chapel the best and all that, but that's not going to matter. This is going to be done. I'm going to close my Bible, walk out there, go to the library and work for a few minutes, and that's it. And However it went, but when I leave here, IBC, and I go to the place where I'm called, it's not going to matter how many times I preach chapel it's not going to matter how many times I led chapel and sang chapel and did all this other stuff. Is if, Am I going to trust in the power of the Holy Ghost? Am I going to trust in what God can do through me? It is not about your talent. Y'all can come. I'm going to open up these altars. Y'all can come. It's not about how good you can sing because the place you're called to is not going to matter. They're not going to care how good you can sing and play. I'm sorry. Your talent's not going to mean anything when you get to the place you're called. But are you going to trust and rely on the Holy Ghost? Are you going to rely on the power of God to speak through you? It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all.